You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Kate, you you are lovely. You are a treasure. Yes. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 23 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. I am Rob. You, and Rob? we are live. Yeah. Sup, Nox? Yeah, 20. 20. <laughs> three. Yes, we are. We are live with 23. So uh, if you are listening to us live, we appreciate that. Uh, if you are listening to us using the app on a device, that's great. But apparently the website is now streaming live as well. So. Yeah, so you can pick us up at uh, Studio 4 at uh, podcastdetroit.com. So uh, yeah. if, if a browser is more convenient for you, by all means, hop drop on, on over in. there and drop in at us. So we have a final kind of hurrah. I yeah. guess, of this world's discussion we've had. This world-building thing, and I'm sure we'll come back to uh, world-building. I, I, I doubt this is going to be the end of everything. So. Oh, no, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, tonight we're going to be uh, we're going to be discussing history. Um, yeah. It's kind of the last, last little bit of uh, of, of world-building is giving mm-hmm. your world a little bit of a uh, little bit of life and making it uh, making it feel like it wasn't born yesterday. You know, like 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 a buff at the very end. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of shine, a little bit of shine. <laughs> so, um, but I think much like a buff and a shine, you kind of have to decide how much. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I think, um, I, I think when I was writing up some of the notes for this, uh, I was expecting this to kind of come across like a little, a little more like our like our geography uh, uh, discussion, <laughs> where it was like, yeah, we want to talk about geography, but there, it, it almost doesn't matter. You know, just just do kind of whatever and like don't stress about it. But right. um, I started kind of you know thinking about it, and there are, there definitely are some particulars to it. Okay, um, all right. Uh, you know, I was, but but I think first to what you were saying, you know, it's it's yeah. not how much you have, but how much you share. Yeah, is, is one of the first things. And I, I think I that was across. one of the things that we've we've talked about in the past of just storytelling mm-hmm. in general is that you have your world history. The, yeah, the, the description of what what has gone on and that. I'm not going to say is irrelevant, but isn't it is a it's a different part of the story. And then you have what is functionally part of the story. And right. We, we have right. exposition that gives us history and lore and mm-hmm. things like that. But that exposition could literally be ignored and you could still enjoy the story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, how, how much think think of your day to day life and like how much of like the American Revolution, you know, matters Day to day. I agree. It I agree. really doesn't. It, it like, doesn't, but it's part of the world and, there, and it's are, necessary. Yeah, there are important things that happened there. There are things that happened there that, that inform what our nation looks yep. like today. But you know what? On a day to day basis, the date that George Washington crossed the, 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 the Potomac River, like, mm-hmm. does, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really matter. So what we're saying, this section that we're about to talking about is literally meaningless. <laughs> No, 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 not no, no, no. It's far, it's far from meaningless. No, I, what I'm what I am saying though is wipe that sweat off your brow <laughs> yeah. because very much like geography, it it seems like a very big thing it's of not. like oh god, I've got to now I've come up with a world, I've come up with a, with a snapshot of what my world looks like right now, but now I've got to hit the rewind button for how many thousands of years and figure out. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, I think it comes back to the keyword we've pretty much said through the whole thing, which is consistency. Yeah, and that is is that you the history and the lore of your world has to be consistent. Mm-hmm. It has to, and this is why you write it is is so that from your mind of you know how everything functions, you can write it down so that you have that drive of why it's functioning that way. Here's the lore behind it. I mean, you create a religion mm-hmm. that is based upon around your god so you know the truth you then need to know what the religion believes and then you have what is the doctrine that's the actual lore yeah. that's the last thing that goes into the play there mm-hmm. so that that's what gets actually doled out sure. to the players so they're only going to see a tiny little slit of a window through into this vast scape 
If they stare into it like a key- keyhole, sure, mm-hmm. they'll get a lot of information. Is it important to them? Probably to them personally, but maybe not the whole story. But it's neat. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a nugget that gives them another facet into it. And it's just a matter of how deep do you look into that world of why it's there. Sure, sure. So I, 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 think, I think that's a good way to look at it is that you don't have to paint the entire picture. You have to paint what's visible to your players that will make it that will make the setting make sense right right um there there's also a, another great quote um from a video that you and i watched uh a couple oh, weeks ago yes um that i wrote down here and uh, i wanted to bring it up in this discussion i've been i've been sitting on this for mm-hmm. the longest because mm-hmm. the moment i heard it i was like oh my god that is the crux of our history discussion yes. right there yes um the the video was a uh was a video um on polygon's channel polygon is, yeah. is a typically a, like a gaming website more, yeah. a lot more video game geared if you don't know oh, about yeah. it um there's a uh, a contributor to that uh, to that channel uh, called Brian David Gilbert, um, mm-hmm. and he does a series called Unraveled, where he kind of delves uh, deeply into subjects in, within video games that are yeah. from odd angles, like uh, ranking the sexiness of of Castlevania monsters, yeah, you know, and things like that. Uh, this particular video was called "I Read All 337 Books in Skyrim, <laughs> So You Don't Have to." Yeah. And uh, so he kind of broke down the different the different books that appear in yep. the lore of Skyrim and broke them into different categories. And he had this whole category dedicated to history. And so he was talking. He's like, you know, now you, most of you probably think that the history books are the most interesting. And I'm here to tell you they're not. And I quote, history is so boring. It's true. J.R.R. Tolkien did the world a disservice by making every single fantasy writer think they need to chronicle every goddamn minute of their world in order for it to be legitimate. (laughs) I don't give two shits about a king who lost a war 700 years ago. (sighs) Get out of here. It's true. It is true. And and that, I think, really kind of sums up a, a, a chunk at least of this history discussion. Nobody cares about a king who lost a war 700 years ago. <laughs> so don't don't feel like you need to go into that sort of depth unless maybe it's moderately important to a single kingdom and your and your party happens to be looking into like, well, why, you know, what's the history of this castle? Well, I don't know, maybe yeah. you come up with something like that. But well, and the whole thing is like, are you writing a world book? Yeah. Like are you sincerely writing a, a world book like Aberon or something like that? Mm. Sure. Maybe sure. you want to put a note in there that the world's been around for a thousand years but and there's ke- been multiple kings. Keep it to a paragraph. I mean – A paragraph. Right. But you if know. you're writing this for a campaign that's going to last you maybe a year, mm-hmm. come on, people. Yeah. Dial it back a little bit here. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. So you're going to write some history. You need to know what to do. Um, oh, uh, all right. Hold on. Hold on. I, I got to answer this one. Knox, no, no. No ancestor of the king needs to bear that shame. They might not care. You know what that is? That's a player who wrote way too much of their backstory. That's what happened with that right there. What is going on? I am. He's, a, see, oh, he's I, like the I'm ancestor of a king who might uh, who who bears the shame might care, and the answer is no, no, no. If you're if you're writing about the seventy hundred year old, that's a player. You just talked about a player. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, because you know what it is. You know who that is. That's that's the ranger. He's oh. a ranger with a dark past. Oh, the dark past. That's right. He's a lone wolf. A lone wolf. A wolf pack of one. Because he was, sh- his family was shamed. Mm-hmm. They they took the one ring and instead of throwing it in the fire, they kept it because it was a gift. <laughs> yep, yep. There you go. There. That's what you oh, just did. Goodness. You just wrote the backstory of a character. Yep. Nicely done. Yep. Nicely done. Nicely done. Love you, Knox. Love but I'm going to I'm going to have to knock you on that one just a little bit. I do appreciate the tongue out. <laughs> so uh, but no, seriously, for world build. No, put it to the side. Like, yeah. Let your characters come up with that because a character will come up with that. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you've got a framing absolutely. that there was there's this dark castles, you know, that litter the landscape because <laughs> because of, you know, multiple wars that occurred and, you know, you know, uh, Kingsmen joined into these battles and lost their lands. Sure, any one of those could be a backstory to one of the players and they could write into that. Right. But unless you're legitimately building a world book that's supposed to be an add-on to D&D where mm-hmm. you need 700 pages and 75 pages that has to be lore about how, you know, how the history and the movement of the people and stuff, sure. But again, you still don't need 40 paragraphs on one kingdom. Yeah, you really don't. You really don't. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So, so let's talk a little bit about this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so if you so are going to write let's history. Let's talk about what we should write. What we should write. <laughs> instead of harping for a half we hour. We are totally harping. This should is bad. Not, I, wait, I don't think we got half hour. Maybe 10 minutes though. Solid no, but, but I think, I think, I think, uh, I think our geography episode was about a half hour of us saying, don't, don't make don't geography. Do it. Don't, don't do it. Don't just make geography. Your world Take a map. <laughs> just, just go into Minecraft, select flat world. <laughs> Start pulling mountains up. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, what was do you oh, was it populous that you could raise and lower the land in back I, in the day? Did oh, the game? I think so I don't think I ever played it. I loved populous for that because you could literally terraform live. Mm-hmm. Like you could raise and lower lands. I know in SimCity you could do it back in the yeah, day. Yeah, I were did building that. I world. did a lot in SimCity. Yeah, I I would say that's really what, what what geography is about. It's knowing where things are at, and that's about the the level where you need to be. That's the level you need. So. Beyond that, do it in the campaign. Tell them about the high peaks and the cliff edges and sharp rocks at the bottom. You know. All right, storytellers, focus. All right, all right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> this is the history episode. So that's all right. All right, back to history. Back to all history. All right. So you want to write history? Uh, so here's a couple tips for you. Uh, first off, big one: history is written by the victors. Yep. You've heard it said before. It is very, very true. Um, so when you're writing history, it is important to keep in mind the difference between what really happened and what people believe happened. And I find that hard because your first thought is, as a storyteller, is you know what happened. Mm-hmm. You know the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want to iterate is the truth. Yep. But sometimes you have to write down the truth and then figure and then, out what did people believe out of this. Yeah. And like, then tell your tell your players the bald-faced lie that everybody, that everybody sells them. Right. Yep. And then they'll discover what the truth is. And sometimes the truth is different from what you wrote down and you will scratch that out and write the new truth in. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> I've done that a number of times. So, what do we what do we mean by uh, by by what what they what really happened versus what really believe happened? Right. Um, so, recorded history is going to be colored by the bias of the writers. Right. Okay. Um, is essentially what this what this comes down to. What um, books survived after the Great Fire? <laughs> right. And well, and and who gets who gets the luxury of telling the story? Yeah. And who's and who lost their you know their their part in the power struggle? Mm-hmm. And therefore, whatever whatever truth they believe happened. Um, are are lost because they're just not recorded or they're actively expunged. Right. Um, you know, kind of pl- like when you know I created the show sheet for this and then you filled it out with stuff and I didn't put anything in it. The victor was you, yeah, and therefore yeah. I lost. And that is what our show will be. <laughs> <laughs> the, the victor is going to be my notes. There we go. Subject. And I'm perfectly fine um, with that. I accept. I accept. Okay. So uh, a couple a couple points to talk about. Uh, talk about this. Uh, morally gray cl- conflicts are going to be painted as black and white, good and evil. Yes. Okay. I agree. Um, in reality. Um, you're going to find a lot of moral grayness. Um, and yeah. both both sides are going to have. A, in most cases, there yeah. are some definite, uh, definite cases where there are no, there there is a definite bad guy. But yeah, you know, in in a lot of like political conflicts and stuff like that, um, you know, uh, you're you're going to have a moral moral conflicts mm-hmm. that are they're just in gray areas. Both sides have good points, but both sides kind of have jerks on their side, right. and and war breaks out. And the other thing that I think uh-huh. that goes into this a little bit, and that's is... why diplomacy is so hard, you know. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Also, distance. Like we don't uh, – as Americans necessarily, mm-hmm. and I say that in a very global sense um, of the Caucasian style, uh, yeah, yeah. don't have a really good view on England going into India. Mm-hmm. Like we know they did something there and if you go into the history from our perspective of what the American authors wrote in the past, mm-hmm. it was very British forward. Mm-hmm. I assure you we all now know – Based on the other historians who have come to our country, since we're such a mixing bowl, we have discovered other things that really occurred in what happened there and some of the ter- terrible, horrible things that came with this trade agreement and takeover. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So it's – so distance sometimes puts that into perspective mm-hmm. as well, whereas if your world and your campaign revolves around a very small area, the lore that's attached to another area across the sea – might see them as heathens or them or the they that are right. dark and come and attack our shores and steal our women. You and, know? and the conquistadors there are going to be painted as, you know, yeah. as, as oh, oh, they're, they're just, you know, pilgrims. Yes. Who went over there just, you know, to, to share. And, yeah. and, you know, you know, maybe yeah. there was a bunch of pillaging and killings yes. that took place, but yeah. we're, you know, we're not really going to talk about that. The no. history books are not going to mention that. Correct. You know, you know, we, this, the Spaniards went and brought civilization. Mm-hmm. 
to this peninsula of naked people. And that, that actually brings us to the next point. <laughs> Tyrants may be painted as glorious conquerors. Exactly. They, they conquered the new land, the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the uh, – a, a great example of this is in uh, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series, okay. the, the, uh, uh, the, the Lord Emperor. OK. Um, and he's kind of this god king that, uh, that rules the final empire. Eight feet tall, wears lots of rings of gold. Uh well I mean yeah he's he's, he's at least a, he believes he's, he's that way he's a, he's in uh, you know of 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 infinite power sort of mm-hmm. sort of person right. um because he's he's tapped into a a particular power source but right. that's you know, entirely not neither here nor there right but um you know I mean he essentially broke the world right. and you know keeps everybody in 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 a rigid caste system of slavery mm-hmm. and awful stuff like that but um you know he's he's painted of course at least by the ruling class as this you know this this god emperor who you know keeps the peace and right. looks over everybody and provides for everybody you mm-hmm. know because he was the winner yeah so obviously he's right. you know the the good guy in the story um random happenstance may be chalked up as divine intervention. Oh, yeah. Okay? In actual Honest Goodness history. Now, I, th- I think back to uh, the origins of the word kamikaze. Yeah. Okay. Um, actual Honest Goodness thing that happened mm-hmm. in real life, to give you an example here. Um, the Mongols were going to come over from China mm-hmm. and invade Japan. Yes. They got a fleet together. Yep. Which they've they, never done before. Right. And they sailed across the sea yep. of Japan. Yep. And uh, most of the way across that, the samurai were all lined up on the shore and a giant uh, hurricane, typhoon, something or another storm came through and just destroyed their fleet. Mm-hmm. The few that made it to, sh- to, to, to shore, the samurai just quickly mopped up. Right. The Mongols decided, well, that was BS. Yeah. Let's try it again. Yep. I mean, it can't happen twice in a row, can it? Yep. It did. Guess what? Yeah. So – so I mean, the God Emperor. <laughs> now there, there's a lot of, and, and, and what I've what I've learned too is that um, there were uh, like uh, when the Mongols conquered China, um, and so they took on a lot of the native Chinese people as mm-hmm. their as their advisors and stuff like that. Yep. And the Chinese people, of course, didn't want to openly defy the Mongols, right? But you know, if they got their ass kicked by the monsoon season, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so when they said advisor. What is the best time to cross the Sea of Japan? You know this land and I don't. They said, I don't know, August? (laughs) I told them August. (laughs) (laughs) Which – Pretty much screwed them. Yeah, exactly. Or whenever the monsoon season was, I'm yeah. sure. I'm, I'm sure I got that that month wrong. But, but regardless, but, but you get the yeah. point, though. You know, um, it sent them over specifically during the bad the bad season to wipe out their so, forces. And and what happened was nature did what nature does. Yeah. But the Japanese, of course, saw this as divine intervention. Not right. once, but twice. You have the the very sea itself rising up to swallow their aggressors. Regardless of the fact that they are fully aware that the sea does that every year at that time. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But it did all their work for them. Well, so I mean, that was similar you... to the march in uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. You know, where it was like Mother Russia protected the Russians during that great exactly. war. Exactly. Because they literally marked marched in to a snowstorm, and they just waited. <laughs> Land war in Russia during the middle of winter. Good job, Hitler. Yeah, yeah, Good you, job. Yeah, fantastic just, job. Yeah. No. We're not going to say you didn't screw that one up, but you screwed that one up. Wow. I mean, but again, you 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 had a very uh a, a worthy opponent who took that as a a a religious moment almost and used that to propel their army of strength. Mm-hmm. You know, to say that this was divine of some way or miraculous in mm-hmm. some way. Exactly. You know. Uh, and we get this all the time. Uh, the bullet that nearly killed one of our presidents that didn't, mm-hmm. that they said that that was divine intervention. Right, because he was protected, you know, et yes. cetera, et cetera. So um, you're going to get you're gonna get things in your history that are, that are, that are told like that. Correct. Um, OK. Let's see here. Uh, there may be others who remember things differently. Right. And that's – this is the other, the other key Heretics, thing. Heretics, you know. Um, history is full of conflicting historical accounts. Rarely is the truth – Able to be discovered beyond uh, beyond inference. Right. Um, this is called the unreliable narrator. Yes. Um, and this is actually one of the things that I, I particularly like the Elder Scrolls for. Yeah. Is that um, all of the history is told in game. Yeah. There is no um, out of game official meta history of right. the Elder Scrolls. Right. It's literally all just books. Yeah. And uh, you can for for any book you find saying an event unfolded in one way, uh-huh. you can find another book somewhere else and maybe it's not even in the same game, but maybe it's in a different game. Right. That tells you, "Oh, no, 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 no. No. The, the it, it happened like this." Right. And you're like, "Well, but this this is 
literally two different ways for the, the, the same event. Well, yeah, because there's two different people who wrote the books. Right, right. You know, did they like the god or not? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, it's big things, too. Like, are the Akaviri actually snake people? I don't know. There are some that describe them literally as anthropomorphic snakes. Okay. We've never seen those in game. Nope. But there are books that literally describe them as anthropomorphic anthropomorphic snakes. Right. Were they dragon kin of some sort? Yep. Were they just humans with a snake motif? Was it someone who looked at some hieroglyphics at one point that showed a snake walking upright and they went, oh, that's what they were like? I don't know. Nobody knows. Unreliable narrator. That's right. So don't be don't be afraid when writing your history. Um, and this is a great way of like even if you as a storyteller don't know. Mm-hmm. Write a couple conflicting accounts of it and just hand it to your players. Yep. They, they won't know either. And then yep. you're all on the same page. Yep. Everybody's on the same page. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I mean, you can even just just do that like in, in game too. It's like, you know, it, uh, describe describe parts of your history in uncertain terms. Just yep. it's believed that it was like this. Right. Some scholars say <laughs> – Exactly. That it unfolded that way. Yeah, I, I will get in trouble if I don't quote this for my wife. Okay. And, uh, Terry Pratchett is amazing, and he almost always writes the opening of his books or something near the beginning of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny of like the world – everyone believed that the world was created or at least there are still arguments about that. And one of those, a philosopher, Diodocles, uh, summoned an alternative hypothesis of things just happen. What the hell? You know <laughs> – yeah, you know, where he literally makes fun of the fact that the 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 world doesn't just have one history. That there's yeah. all these crazy people who are writing history in their own particular vein. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember that. You have to remember that the crazy guy in the corner may be honestly telling the truth of what happened, but nobody believes him. Even though he is the oldest crone in town. That's why truth is stranger than fiction, because fiction has to make sense. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, one of the things that you had put in here, which I really do think is so totally true mm-hmm. that a lot of storytellers have a hard time with is uh, – and kids do it better than we do. And that is is critical events get glossed over. Yeah. So like you don't have to explain how – a battle ended in great detail. You, you you just have to say that there was a battle and these guys won. Mm-hmm. Even if they only won with like 10% of their army left and everyone else injured and the town on fire, they won. That was a victory. That was yep. the victory. And you move on from that point. Yeah. And everyone just remembers that as a victory because that's yep. what was told. We fought – we won. Correct. There it is. You know, yep. it, it ignores all things like uh, who fought in the battle. Yep. Why the battle was – I mean maybe why the battle was being fought, fought but right. oftentimes that even gets boiled down to those were the bad guys. We were the good guys. So we fought. Right. Um, you know, uh, how many people died. It just, you know, what, what what the other complicating factors mm-hmm. were. Just, yeah, don't don't worry about it. Yeah. Honestly, if you were sketching out your thing like there was a war between these two kingdoms, this kingdom won. Leave you it. Can, you can leave it. Yeah. You can leave it right there. Yeah. Unless there's a specific reasons why you need to explain maybe a battle occurred at a certain place mm-hmm. so that it can be remembered or may, maybe your players finally go to one of the battle zones mm-hmm. and it just happened to be at this keep that's just a wreck. You know, a wreck. And someone says, do I know any lore about this keep? Because it happened during the Great War. Write it on the spot. Yeah, come on, some stuff on the there fly. You go. Uh, there was a uh, yeah, there was a there was a mighty king who was a warrior who yeah, and just fill in. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Or or literally roll your loot table off to the side. Look at what's in the loot table. Write some lore. Done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I find that to be an intriguing way of writing lore. Is that when someone asks, let your loot table write your lore. I mean, it's funny. <laughs> have but you it, ever have you ever done that to us? I have. Like, I have legitimately done that, and I have to say that I learned it. From Chris Overwatch. Oh yeah, because yeah. he's he has these little nuggets of brilliance which he are unreal. Really does. Um, really does. And I looked like, at that and I went, "That is super, super awesome." Having a loot table literally write your lore for you. And Overwatch, I don't know if you're listening right now. If you're listening, live he, he's not. He's not mo- noting. So I'm guessing he's uh, he's busy doing something else. He's, but, but, he's, he'd do busy for us. I want I want to talk directly to you oh, here, just right. just just for an instant here. Sure, and sure. I just, I just want to say that like I, I read some of the things that you put in our general chat on mm-hmm. our Discord. Um, where a lot of great discussion takes place, you should all join us. Yes, uh, always, always. And, um, 
but anyways, I, I hear the things that you do in your games and such like that, and I I find myself fifty percent appalled and fifty percent amazed because our storytelling styles are so different, and there are oh, yeah. things that I would never do in my game. Yep. That you're like, well, you should absolutely always do this thing, yeah. and I'm like, how do you even? And then I kind of just sit there and scratch my head and go, you crazy bastard. That might just work. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not crazy on his story. And, and I guess that's – I mean in, in the crux of it all, that is the thing that this whole podcast is about is that is it, there's is a lot of different styles. He and I are complete polar opposites. Yeah. And both of our storytelling styles work well. They you do. Know? They do. And and, and you but, both have things to add to each other. Yeah, absolutely, so. absolutely. And I, I, so I just, I, I had that revelation earlier today, yep. and I wanted to put that on the air and on the record. There so you thank go. Thank you. There you go. That was your five minutes of, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Knox is cheering you as well. Hey, hey. you should add him. Make him t- make him jump in the channel. Um. So yeah, like, but let's get back to this. So glossing over things, you win. There's a loser. Mm-hmm. It, you don't necessarily even have to go into detail. Don't don't try and explain it unless it is plot specific. Mm-hmm. Always keep the lens of your plot to the plot. If you're writing world history, gloss it. Make it make it shine. Yep. Give it a little bit of an edge. If the players can see it in the distance, if that mountain in the distance has a name, that's great. Leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Don't explain why it's called the spine tooth kraken. Like, great. Why do they call it that? Uh, okay, you, you make a lore check. Uh, a, a kraken was seen on the other side, and in the in the night when the sailors were sailing, they thought it was a kraken in the water when it was actually just a mountain, and that's how it's got its name. Done. There you go. There's yep. your lore. There you go. Wonderful. You know, instead of going into great detail about the the name kraken and where it actually comes from, and that it, it was a failed naming, and you know, yeah, whatever. Like yeah. you don't have to do that. Don't no, don't go crazy. No, don't drive cares. yourself nuts. Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that your players will probably never even notice about it. So, all right. So, we talked a lot about like a uh, big, big world stuff. Um, but keep in mind that history happens everywhere. Um, it's not just world, big world changing events, but even like groups have history. Now, we we did a whole podcast on coming up with uh, you know groups in your society and stuff like that. Um, but keeping it, but but and and I, I did say that at the time mm-hmm. um, that the history of those groups was a separate discussion. Yes. Um. And so here we are. So like, yeah. for instance, you've got a Thieves Guild. Oh, yeah. That Thieves Guild did not sprout up overnight. Probably not. Okay. So things to keep in mind is like, um, <clears throat> uh, who created it? Yeah. When was it created? Mm-hmm. Okay. How long has this Thieves Guild been along? Did it sprout up overnight? Mm-hmm. Or is this is this like the Thieves Guild that's literally been operating the city for the last thousand years? Yeah. You know? um, why was it, what was the original intent of the guild? Right. Uh, was it because there was just random assassinations happening and they decided, hey, guys, we're all good at our jobs, but we're not just going to let randomness dictate everything. Right. Or was it more of a fight club thing of like, hey, uh, that thing you're doing is kind of cool. Can I join? Or the other one that always got me was mm-hmm. there was so much strife between multiple communities that they decided that attrition would destroy the community. So they we decided that some rules and order. The way that it had yeah. happened was if you've got a beef with this guy, you must go to the Assassin's Guild and get your contract and they will take care of it cleanly and easily. More egg tongue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it works. Mm-hmm. It works. Um, but I liked uh, like, again, I'm going to go back to Terry Pratchett mm-hmm. because in 7th C, there's a lot of scenes. And one of the things that a lot of things happen in specifically in the 7th C style is you show your enemies. You show other scenes that your players aren't in mm-hmm. to add flavor. So like literally you can talk about a scene where this character is walking down a hallway of portraits and objects of like like a, a, a you know a, a a dagger, the broken end of a spear, a cup, a portrait of another guy. And it's underneath each one of these portraits is just like a year to another year, but they're like maybe two years apart. And mm-hmm. then one of them has a date and it doesn't end and the portrait isn't in the frame. And then the door opens and the name of the guy in the portrait is exclaimed into the room uh, that someone's waiting for you. Huh. And his butler's like, I'll see him in a minute. And he's and he's just like, well, I brought tea for both of you. Excuse me? And the guy's sitting in the room waiting for him. And you're like, oh, crap. This guy's good. Like, yep. And that's the whole thing is, is that you're setting up those moments and your players know there's a long history mm-hmm. of high thieves or high assassins in this guild. Yep. And I've just laid out the fact that this guy has lived long enough to be in that position and somebody just snuck up on him. Mm-hmm. So this guy is a huge cantankerous badass exactly. when it comes to stealth. So exactly. you're set those set those kind of motions 
in the history. Mm-hmm. Like have that down that you know what your players need to know. So when they ask those lore questions about things that are directly and faced in the game, that you can give them direct lore instead of, you know, hypothetical things or on the fly things. That these are these are good nuggets to hand off and and be with. Um, and and be part of your actual story versus the world in general. But if mm-hmm. you've got exposition about something that's just outside of the plot, sure, talk about it in that sense that you know the thieves guild has ran this district for the last thirty three hundred years, yeah, absolutely, uh, and kept order and peace between the gangs that fight literally on a regular basis, mm-hmm. like for the last three hundred years. And you're like, whoa, like. How can 300 years worth of gang violence be going on? The Thieves Guild keeps it in order. Yep. Which seems weird but works, yep. you know? Uh, one of my uh, one of my favorites uh, and uh, again hearkening back to the Elder Scrolls series yeah, yeah. Um, because it's, it's my wheelhouse currently is sure. the, the Vigilance of Stundar. Oh, uh, God. It's, it's a discussion that kind of came up about yep. your character because yeah. uh, your character is uh, follows Stendar. You're a cleric of Stendar. I, I do. I do. Um, but we are playing in the third era. Correct. And so people were like, oh, Stendar, aren't those guys a bunch of assholes? And I'm like, yeah, they are. But not yet. They will be. They will be. <laughs> uh, so what happens with the Vigilance of Stendar? Uh, for those of you not familiar with the, with the setting, uh, the Stendar is the god of mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he his followers are basically peaceful and charitable hospitalers. Sure. Um, they, they give mercy to, the, to, to those in need of mercy. Yep. You know? um, so uh, what happens in the fourth Elder Scrolls game is something called the Oblivion Crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gates between our world and Oblivion are torn down and mm-hmm. uh, the Daedric Prince of Destruction and Revolution uh, basically starts opening up gates all over the place, which shouldn't be allowed to happen. Um, and uh, evil, vile, Daedra, demon things start spilling out everywhere. Right. And now the game takes place in the province of Cyrodiil, but this it's it's understood that this, t- this is taking place all over the world. Right. It just happens to be that the snapshot we get is Cyrodiil. Right. Um, and so all the other nations in Tamriel are affected by this thing happening and some of them really don't fare too well. And of course, nobody sees this coming because it shouldn't be able to happen. Right. But events take place that allow for it. Sure. So Joe Schmo in on Somerset Isle or off in, you know, elsewhere um, or up in Skyrim are just minding their business one day and all of a sudden a gate opens up and Daedra starts spilling yeah, out. A giant it. purple gate opens up like a giant – like a navel of, of a peach and outpours juice. Yes, and <laughs> outpours demons essentially. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so it, it really changed the face of Tamriel mm-hmm. um, for, for the worse in a lot of ways. Um, and so what happens is after the Oblivion Crisis, all the um, – these these night hospitalers, these followers of Stendar decide that they're never going to allow this to happen again and they form a group called the Vigilance of Stendar. Right. And that's who you see in the fifth Elder Scrolls game, Skyrim, where you've got um, these roving bands of religious zealots mm-hmm. who will just murder anybody who they even have a slightest inkling of dealing with Daedra yep. um, because they've sworn never again. Yep. And they're willing to just enforce that, yep. you know. Uh, so it's that's a little, you know, you, just you've got this group. Mm-hmm. Just think about like, okay, what what put that group in that? So you want violent, violent religious zealots. So what makes them violent religious zealots? You know, how the did world they, burned. How did they be, become that? What yeah. drove them to that? You yeah, know? yeah. I, I I tend to I tend to agree with that. Uh, that. Uh, those who don't believe in mercy must believe in fear. Yeah, nice. That's that's, that's pretty solid. That's a that's a good quote, Knox. That's that's pretty fo- solid. So, uh, but yeah, you, you, I, I'm willing to bet uh, if if I was sitting at the storyteller table with those guys and they were trying to figure out like, okay, the world just went to hell. All right, how does everybody fare? Mm-hmm. And someone was just like, well, I'm sure there's going to be at least one religion that's going to want like this, not on my watch. You know, kind of thing. I'm like, well, how are you going to handle that? Well, like, we're never going to let anybody talk to Daedra again. Oh, okay. So what are you, you going to do if they do? Murder well, them. Murder them, probably. Yeah. Torture them to find out who else they talk to. Can't talk if you're not alive. That's right. Cut your tongue out. Mm-hmm. You know, do those kinds of things. Shit, which group would do that? I don't know which group would be less likely to want this to happen again. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> like, And that's really, I mean, when you start boiling down the list, if you were to look at that world, 
yeah, more likely it would be Stendar who'd probably step up and say never again. Yeah, well, especially since in that setting, Talos is so embattled. But that, that's yeah. a whole different yeah. other discussion. But. Yeah. So again, just uh, what I think what we're trying to boil down to is if you've got a specific group that's important, if you've boiled your your who's down to the area that you're working in, have a history of of what's going on with them. Yeah, know them I, no differently than in the individual campaign. You'll have a named person and you'll have a history of knowing what's going on for them, mm-hmm. but know a little bit about what's going on with that group, how they got established, and and what's important to be explaining. And I, I would say too, um, it's probably best to work backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you create your group, yeah, uh, freely. You know, create what you what you want them to be, where you want them to fit in your story, modern day, right? And then and then do your thinking about like. Why? Why are they in this particular position? What right. What interesting things can I put in their history to to make them have come to be where they are right now? Yeah, I mean, you might have. I'll give a good example. Mm-hmm. You might have an image in your mind that the the players are going to come across the the order of wizards, and you're like, great. So I have the order of wizards. Mm-hmm. That's that's who live in this city, I'm right? Into it. And the order of wizards are old. Uh, they're all old. There's no young ones, right? Uh, and so they're all gray and old and powerful, right? So that's that's the kind of image I want them to come across, right? I want these guys to be like, you know, fiftieth level characters, effectively, uh, unbelievable power, but like they don't, they're not really attached to the world. Great, that's fantastic. How did they get there? Where did they come from? <laughs> right. You know, are, you don't just get old. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could, but you're not going to get fiftieth level. You know, power level kind of stuff from just standing around or standing at the edge of a king waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you you get a lot of viziers that way who have fake power and fake a lot of the magic that they're doing, but you don't get that kind of level of power. So yep. build a little history. Okay, so maybe these guys are old wizards who have been all over the world. And they're all here for a reason because they know something more than everyone else. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why they've stuck their power base here is maybe this is where their shit is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this is where they keep all their stuff, you know. Yeah. And so there's quite a bit going on. And maybe there's a college underneath them that they like to support. There's maybe, other wizards. Maybe it's a ley line nexus. Yeah, exactly. So work your way backwards. Maybe they've imprisoned something underneath their tower. And exactly. But they, they built their tower on top of it so no one could be able to unearth it. Correct. You know, hey, if you've got a a bunch of 500, you know, 50th level wizards and then another 500 acolytes who are trying to become them. Mm-hmm. You know, any bad things that are going on around that are could be explained away as lessons, you know, yeah. no big deal. But that beholder is going to stay right where he is. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know. All right. And then I got. I think I got our last our last tip. Here. Let's do this because we've got some right. questions we have got to hit. Yeah, twenty minutes to hit them, and it's and it's it's a short tip. Okay, and that is just be careful not to make your history too intrusive. Oh yeah. Um, there is a point at which your world building and history are so specific mm-hmm. and so based around historical figures that shaped your world that you're no longer creating a tabletop RPG. Nope. Okay. You are. It, this is called writing a book. Yep. Or a movie script. Yep. And it is a wonderful thing. But it is not a tabletop RPG. Yep. Side eye at you, Aeonverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear me talk about adventure and and aberrant and Trinity, and it is a wonderful system. It's a wonderful universe with very rich lore. Some might say too rich of lore. Yeah. The the main characters that have shaped that world are very prominent, mm-hmm. almost inextricable from the world building mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. Um. They're pillars. Yeah, they're 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 very strong pillars in it, and mm-hmm. it's almost like your characters don't matter to an extent in the story if you pay a lot of attention to the world building. Okay, because these potent characters move the world so much in absence of anything your characters want to do that you you almost have to throw out at least some of the lore. To be able to play any of the Aeonverse games and allow for your characters to be anything more than bit characters dancing around at the feet of of uh, Maxwell Mercer or um, Divis Maul or uh, you know Castus Pax, uh, who are the the you know the bigger movers and shakers in that in that system. I would say the same thing for Seventh C, but mm-hmm. with a twist on that. Seventh C has these ominously large villains and unbelievably elegant heroes mm-hmm. but they are so big 
that their focus is on a on a task like defending the seas between these two nations and that's all they can do but they can't take care of the little things or the side things or follow things right so right, 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 i think right. in that world in aeon it is it is a fixed world of a certain size mm-hmm. and they are master puppeteers and and in control of too much whereas with like 7c we have you know the princes of Vidachi who control their lands and are fighting amongst each other and are villains in their own rights. But it, within them is this elaborate array of individuals who are all having their own little subplots. But none of those characters' subplots are longer than three or four paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. So you, there's holes all riddled throughout mm-hmm. it and questions to be asked that only a storyteller who looks at that setting and says, I know why that guy's doing that now. Mm-hmm. I've come up with a reason why that's going on. And that's the beauty of writing just enough and not getting too finite. And so I think that's where Aeon and 7C separate, where you do have this mass – like there are hundreds of NPCs in 7C mm-hmm. that are already pre-written, but they have such little actual background and story about yep. their motivation stuff that it gives you a flavor of who they are and why they're where they're at specifically but doesn't tell you anything more. Yep, exactly. And I think, you know, like I said, the Aeon verse takes that, that just that one one step mm-hmm. too much further yeah. where it's like, here's essentially a book that we wrote mm-hmm. about these main characters all interacting. Yeah. And uh, this section details rules on how you can make a character to interact in their book. Right. You know. On a, a story that has a defined timeline that will go in this direction. Right. You know, right. where Seven Seas like, yes, the French king did send uh, 200,000 troops into Usura, you know, into the Russian capital and knowing full and well that they're probably not coming back because he wanted to get back at their commander. Mm-hmm. And one of the storylines is he should know the commander. Go mm-hmm. tell him. And so you're going to go tell him and start a revolution mm-hmm. or not or something. It's up to you. And as a storyteller, there's a lot you can do in that. Right. But they leave it dangling. Way dangling. Yeah. Yeah. Like a terrible participle. All right. Questions. 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 Illy May, you had a question. Illa May. We want this. You have this. been so patient. You've waited like a month. You and now we're just going to like blow over this question like it's not a good No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. It's a good question. It's a really All good right. question. It's why we kept it around so long. Go for it. All right. So Illa May asks a long time ago. When building your world, how much history is enough? How do you like to approach history of your world? Uh, single timeline, timeline for each faction, only bullet points that uh, the thing happened. Uh, and how much do you expect a player to come in knowing or how do you convey this history to new players that are late to the party? Uh, so I think we touched on a, a, a bit of the first mm-hmm. stuff. Definitely. Already. Um how much history is enough uh, is enough to make the world feel lived in but not enough that you're just reading a history book. Right. Explain explain the view from what the players see. Yeah. Like I was born. I grew up to my certain age. What experience did I – what did I learn about the world in that experience? Right. Um, we, we discussed earlier environmental storytelling. Yeah. And I think that's very important when it comes to history. Yes. Um, so if you have an ancient kingdom that you're rolling around in, describe the buildings as old. Don't, don't sit here and tell me this kingdom is 3,000 years old. Tell me that I can feel the age in every paving stone as I walk across it. Yep. Uh, that the, the bricks in every building look old and worn and rebuilt and worn again and mm-hmm. rebuilt and worn again. You know, explain it like Venice where you can feel that this city has literally been built on top of itself a dozen times and that exactly. when you go into the waters as a diver and di- dive down even 50 feet, you're scared for the entire city because you'd see nothing but a sea of pillars. It's that old adage, uh, uh, show me, don't tell me. Exactly. Yeah. It's you, you, um, How deep do you let the players go? I mean literally that's the kind of feel you get. Yeah, and I, and I think I think what you what you said earlier is very important too. Is is tell it from the player's perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I can sit here and I can read you a history book on this three thousand year old city, but maybe your players don't know that. Probably it's, won't. It's probably most not of them. even important to them. Yeah, I you mean, know? It, in some um, worlds, I've I've read uh, I've read books where they've talked about like if none of your players have a single dot in history or lore, give them the base races and basically how their race looks at the other race and leave it at that. And leave it at that, yeah. Uh, so how do you approach history in the world? Single timeline, timeline for each faction, or only bullet points of what thing happened? Um, 
I guess it really just depends. Like it's it's kind of a combination of all of those. Um, you kind of want to have a single timeline because there's going to be a, a certain narrative that your that your world may you know may may take. Yeah. Um, but also th- there are a bunch of little stories that happen in there. And you so- might also want to do – I would probably – if it was me, I would do – my first draft would be just a bullet point history yeah. timeline of what's important in events that I consider plot that, mm-hmm. that lead up to contemporary. And then I might take that list and break that list down to what people know and make a new list and that's what I'll talk to the players about. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's, that's that's probably that's probably the best answer for that. Uh, so, how much history do you expect a player to come in knowing? Um, and I think this is this is a real great like this is the this is the crux of the question. I think right, right. here, this is this is the one I was really excited to to to, uh, to talk about um, because that's that's always that's always a little wild. Um, like I know a bunch of you guys came into my game not knowing a lot about the Elder Scrolls universe. Right. I think uh, Sean was the only person who'd really ever uh, Sean and Matthew. Yeah, Matt, but, but, Matt but, but Matthew also joined later, though. Right. So, and I had I have a glistening, like I know of the world. Yeah, but like a I tangential knowledge. Exactly, because yeah. I, I played several of the games, but like I'm not a lore master by any means. Mm-hmm. Like I can recognize things, but that's about it. Right. Right. So, so I, I would say, how much do you expect a player to come in knowing? Um, I, I would say probably enough to understand the. Very broad overview. Right. Like, for instance, if America were a fictional place. Sure. Okay. And we were setting a D&D game there. I might say, okay, so this is set in the country of America where um, it's a relatively new nation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the older, other, other nations have thousands of years of history. America was founded by settlers only like 250 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, – there was some contention with uh, uh, um, with the the native folks when the the settlers came over. Um, there was a uh, primarily a revolution against um, this other nation, mm-hmm. where settlers came over from England, mm-hmm. and uh, they had set up there as colonies, but then decided that as those colonies grew, they wanted to be independent. There was a revolutionary sort of war that took place, fighting for their own independence, and eventually they came out on top. Um, and they've uh, they've had that strong sort of spirit of independence ever since. Yeah. Um, of of being kind of indomitable and such like that as they spread uh, you know out and populated their own nation and mm-hmm. whatnot. So here we are, two hundred and fifty years later, and that's kind of where we are. Yep. That's how I would introduce us to a new player. Mm-hmm. You know, and I would say that's that's it. That's the that, I mean that's that's the broad overview. You know, right. And then if a player decided to make an individual character, like, hey, I'm going to make a character of themselves. Okay, a few things you know independently based mm-hmm. upon where you're from. Uh, these are the types of things that go on down there. These are the types of industries that existed. There's certain areas. Um, there's a certain feel on certain types of people who are in those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also on be understandable that there was also a a civil war that also occurred uh, that the South kind of lost to yeah. say the least. Yeah. Uh, and that's been kind of a – gray crock point for the entirety of the nation uh, but they feel it differently mm-hmm. and here's their perspective on that and right. just go with that kind of thing and yeah. so I always like the I always add in the once a character starts a player starts making into a character you could say then here's start filling what you in know. blanks yeah. exactly yeah exactly yeah. Uh, and then uh, how do you convey this history to new players that are late to the party the exact same way as you yep. introduce it to a new player yep um with the addition of, uh, you know, quite possibly just letting them, you know, know a little bit about what the, what the party's done so far, Maybe, just so yeah. they, just so they don't feel completely, but but more as a player and not more as like what your right. character meta, yeah, you know, yeah, get get the separation between meta and history. You might even hand them like, hey. Uh, when this group came into town, uh, there was a little bit of a scuttlebutt because they knew them as the Warrior Five, right? Who, who took right. out this person and 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 blew a ship up in the harbor. Oh wow! Okay, so you, I know them as this this heroic bunch of crazy people. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsie. So uh, yeah, so that's I would go with that as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and definitely, definitely separate between meta and uh, um, and yeah. player and, and, and character knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um. All right. Th- all right. Yeah. I, think- I, I. I think we need to hit mad and keep going. All right, mad elf. All right. How do you define where classes fit into the history? 
Excuse me. The history is, of the world. This is for games where character classes exist, yeah. like D and D. How do you how do warlocks and sorcerers fit in the world in comparison and contrast to wizards? Uh, what are monks in a world? Are there historic world building underpinnings for bards and druids? What kind of world politics led to thieves guilds and fighters guilds? I think we kind of tapped into this a little bit with your with the last thing we were talking about. I would say only it only fits when it's necessary. Yeah, I, and this is one of the reasons why I don't like class based systems. Honestly, because they they put rigid definitions on people, and I don't think that's terribly. Um, I mean, these are these are professions. More I don't. Or less. My thought is is that I think classes are there for a mechanic. Yeah, they are not a term used. Right, right. Like right. I don't go around calling someone. Uh, yes, plumber, come here. Right, that's, right. Exactly. That's not it. He's Terry. He's good at plumbing. He also happens to be quite an accomplished horseman as well. Mm-hmm. You know. And that's just the way things go. But I'm not going to like, you know, oh, wizard, you know, I liked it. I like the arguments that come out of some of that. Like, for instance, uh, Memnon uh, arguing with the spell beggar, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic. That's cleric. That's, that is, that's a derogatory term for cleric because <laughs> so, they beg their god for spells. That's right. For those of you right. who didn't get that. Yeah. So but the whole idea is, is that it, I think uh, there can be some history to uh-huh. it if – a class was formed because of an event. Like if I am a dragon born as a class, mm-hmm. there was an event in history that may have triggered that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or, uh, you know, if there is – if all thieves are part of a thieves guild, you know, if they're in this area and if they are not, they are considered X, you know? Like so in that case, you know, you are you are not part of the guild and therefore you cannot slay in the city. Right. You know, those kinds of things. So I would say there there can be ties to world history, but I think uh, I, I think you have to be careful about a class versus a uh, a type of person. Yeah. You know, their profession yeah. or what they do. I agree. So all right. Next up, uh knocks in the box. Hello. Uh, asks us, is there a preferred world-building order that best helps creation of your geography, or does it depend on the story you're telling? For example, writing your pantheon first if you're going to tell stories about how the gods shaped or were believed to have shaped the land. Uh, or maybe you're writing a history first to explain the world that was shaped by centuries of events perpetrated by life form, um, perpetrated by life, uh, by the life forms, trends, or magics of your world. Uh... I'm gonna be dead honest with you. I think it's. I think it goes a lot more to um, the story you want to tell, where your starting point is. Yeah, you already put me to sleep. I'm sorry. What were you talking about? No, 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 buddy. Hey, no, I'm I'm uh, with you, but at the same time, I'm gonna say, uh, start. Uh, I guess it's just me. Start from your story. I mean, if you're starting from the world, start from that. Like, yeah, what's the like, ripple effect? Yeah. What was what was what was the part in your muse? What you know? What muse spoke exactly. to you and said, "Hey, you need to write a story about this." Right? Did you did you see a picture? Like, I had a great one at the mm-hmm. at the dinner table with you tonight. I had an image of a girl who scarred herself. Yeah. And I created an entire world for the reason of why she did that, mm-hmm. and just start expanded from there. And it was for a different discussion, but it was very easy for me to immediately go from that one act. As a ripple to create an entire history of why events occurred to yeah. get to the point where a girl would scar herself. Absolutely, you know? And, you know, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna um, do one particular thing and then move on to the next particular thing. I know no. we I know we broke this up into like distinct pieces, but that was just to help us define what we were doing. Right? Yeah. It's it's not like you do your gods first, then you do your world history, the then least. you do your land. It's it's nope. more like um. So I had these I had this idea for this for this world that has these very very potent gods and they're very present and they've warred amongst each other and so you kind of start defining your deities because your deities are now characters. Who is your deity? Um, yeah. Who is your deity and what does he do? <laughs> um, and we got Kate with that one. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but yeah, I would say but, hit and, your and, muse, hit your muse, your ripple, right. and go from there. And maybe, maybe they've got some history, and then maybe because these gods are fighting all the time, there is a part of the land that is scarred. Yeah. Okay, so now you've got some geography that's come out of that, and then right. look, literally, we haven't we haven't left the there. There are these gods, and they fight. Or secondary, mm-hmm. you draw a you you see a map of of something, mm-hmm. and you're like, hmm, why is there a giant chasm here? And you're like. Because there were gods fighting. Right. Or maybe people thought there were gods fighting, mm-hmm. you know, and now you have that. 
Yeah. Exactly. Shattered Plains. Per- exact, perfect example. Yep, yep, yep. You know, uh, it's like, wh- why do people believe that there are dragons in this area? Were there actually dragons in this area or not? Um, so it's it, it's all about your muse and ripple point. Go with that. Yep. All right. All right. So Technolich asks us, uh, how much history is too much? Is there a point when you've made so much backstory for your realm that it prevents further movement and changes in the setting? Yes. Uh, y- yeah. Yes and no. Um, there is a point where it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, anything more than than uh, when your players start getting bored, that's too much. Like. Honestly, anything we 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 talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Just just to get, give them bullet points, and if you need to go into detail, don't write a book. Detail. But the only reason I, I say yes and no is because um, it, is there ever a point which it prevents further movement and changes in the setting? No, no, because you're the storyteller. If you need to change it, change it. Yeah, I, the, you have ultimate control. And the other thing is, is how how narrow is narrow? How broad is broad is broad? Just what it sounds like. Yeah. When it starts getting too much is when you start talking about individual towns and people in said towns, and you've gone into detail about people who have existed in the past, down to like the time that they pooped, and they met at the cliffs of Nicklefnick, and, and they made a friendship there, and that yeah. Okay, the, that's boring. Yeah, but I think the problem that you run into is when history meets modern day, and you've made decisions about how the future will go. Mm-hmm. When you start getting to that level, you are starting to go too far. Yeah, if you yep. know that this is the way things are going to be. Mm, be careful. Your players will ruin those ideas. You, yeah, you can't because your players will ruin everything. Yep. Yep. Um, no. And, and, and keep oh, in mind too, like if you if you need to if you if you have put something out there and you need to retcon it, unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, but this goes completely against the history you told us. Yeah. Gee, I don't know. Some scholars believe that's what that that that's what that's what you should know. Yep. Some scholars believe it happened this way. Yeah. I don't know. What the heck? Maybe there's maybe there's a translation error. Who knows? Yep. All right. Knox in a box. Knox had another one. Comes back around with us. I've uh, always believed that fantastic things like comic superheroes are at the – they're most realistic when they are made of ink because the more detail and real uh, realistic something is, the more the absurdity of the fiction subject is questioned. Where do you feel the balance of realism and fantasy lies in the scope of your world's history? God, you have these questions. Um <laughs> – it's like philosophy 101 with Knox. First off, I think that uh, history is gray and soft and malleable and something that players will have an opinion on and so will the book itself. So it's bias whichever way you look at it. Mm-hmm. The realism comes in the story. That's the key. That's when you get into gritty details and truths. Because history needs to be malleable and viewable from multiple points and something that you can change because your characters have – the players involved have histories that you are not part of. They're yep. going to write those. Yep. I mean, yeah, you could hand them histories or you could you can give them an area or something, but you want them to be invested. Mm-hmm. So you want them to create something yeah. and they're going to add something to your world. At that point, your history is malleable. The realism comes into – when you attach that history to your world and make it real, yeah. that's plot. That's the that's the story driving the realism. That's yeah. the final ink that makes them real. Absolutely. I'm going to agree 100% with that. And the only other thing I'm going to add is uh, I, I used a lot of very flowery words here. But the core of your question is uh, where's the balance between realism and fantasy? Uh, pretty much in everything yeah. is consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing you need to reconcile realism and fantasy together is consistency. Yep. All right. Let's hit Chris here, which yeah, is what bit of game world history or lore has been overlooked? Is there any particular setting or mythos that you always wish you had would be more fleshed out, but not much was done with it uh, all the time? And at the same time, I don't kind of wish it was flushed out. Like in 7th C, I wish I would know more about the Fae, but at the same time, I don't want to know more about the Fae because I've made up things. And that's the difference for me. That's that's the part is that we, we've kind of said – I think it's come to a point where as a kid, I wish I had more information because I was reading it like a book. But as a storyteller, I don't want to know more. Yeah. Because if I know more, that means the player knows more because they can read it. 
Yeah, I'm going to come back around to the Aeon verse on this one. I'm going to yep. give pr- pretty much the exact same answer. Like there, there, there are holes left in that plot um, because they wanted to leave you know things open ended. Um, but yeah, I also kind of don't want those answers. All right, you know because I think if you fill it in too much, then it just becomes a book. All right, all right. Roll is Kate. Uh, our next week topic. Guess what? It's your questions and Discord topics. We're going to review things that we talked about in the past, that you talked about in the past, and that we questioned in the past, and maybe we have more questions come in. Yeah, we had It's going to be a question session. Six solid episodes of us talking for 50 minutes and then panicking in the last 10 minutes trying to answer everybody's questions. Yeah, so So we're not going to do that. Yeah, we're not going to do that. We're we're just going to... We want want you to throw us at him on Discord, uh, up on Twitter as well. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave. Uh, we're up on Instagram at st uh, underscore conclave as well, and uh, the Discord link is not only up the the, the pinned tweet on our Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, but also you can find that in the episode descriptions uh, on your favorite podcast uh, uh, player as well. Yes, uh, every single episode will have the Discord link in there as well. So please join us on Discord and shoot some questions at us. Yeah, become a Patreon member at patreon.com, just like Knox on a Box did, and you will get your name listed here as well. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Guefrog or Guefrog, uh, and you can find him at uh, Guefrog Music at Webley or dot Webley dot com. Our outro music is Only Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. Thank you, Kerry Washington. Uh, po- we play here at Podcast Detroit Wednesdays, and our engineer is Kate. Our, we'd like to thank our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for letting us do this, and all of our friends and all of our listeners. Thank you so much. We love you all. Love you guys. Good night. Good night.